A Story of Hope, Healing from Transgenerational Trauma by Liza Long. Mary N., name changed to protect privacy, was not the typical student in my first year college experience. She always came to class early and sat in the back right corner of the classroom where she could see the door and everyone who came in. She was quiet and kept to herself, and she had trouble meeting my eyes when we talked. She was clearly uncomfortable in a group work setting, seeming to physically shrink into herself. I concluded that Mary was just shy. At a collective thriving conference I attended in Boise State University that semester, one of my colleagues, Malia Collins, Ohio's 2020 writer-in-residence and a native Hawaiian, shared a tool called a story circle that I adapted for use in my classroom. Story circles are powerful ways for us to connect with each other as human beings. One of the prompts is this, tell me the story of your people. When Mary told her people's story, I suddenly understood. Mary's mother had escaped the Rwandan genocide in 1994, fleeing soldiers with only the clothes on her back and her eight young children. Four of Mary's brothers and sisters were too slow and didn't make it to safety. After many years, Mary's mother was able to immigrate to the United States as a refugee, resettling in Boise, Idaho, where Mary was born. In addition to sharing her mother's story, Mary talked about her own struggles with mental health, her depression and anxiety, and her hypervigilance. She never felt safe. Mary had not experienced her mother's trauma firsthand, and she described her mother as a kind, caring, giving parent, but Mary was still exhibiting the effects of post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. Mary likely suffered from transgenerational transmission of trauma. What is transgenerational trauma? The concept of transgenerational transmission of trauma developed from research on Jewish Holocaust survivors. In fact, two researchers used Holocaust survivor research to develop the theory of historical trauma that applies to Native American and Indigenous peoples, describing the negative experiences and poor health outcomes of Native Americans as a legacy of chronic trauma and unresolved grief across generations. Research shows that trauma is shared across generations through a variety of ways, including gene expression, socialization, and psychological disposition. While the source of trauma may be distant, the effects can still be devastating to children. What causes transgenerational trauma? In the mid-1900s, when psychologists first observed the symptoms of trauma in children of parents who had experienced it, many turned to attachment theory as a framework to understand how children may show the effects of intergenerational trauma. According to this theory, parents who were themselves the victims of trauma demonstrate poor attachment with their children and perpetuated the cycle. For example, children of Holocaust survivors who developed PTSD were thought to have this condition because of their parents' unconscious transmission of their own traumatic experiences, resulting in children who were overly anxious and afraid. But researchers have increasingly rejected the environmental approach to intergenerational trauma and are turning instead to epigenetics, a concept in evolutionary biology which explains how genes are expressed or not expressed. Here's one definition of epigenetics. Heritable changes in gene expression often occur as a result of environmental stress or major emotional trauma and would then leave certain marks on the chemical coding of the chromosomes. The coding becomes a sort of memory of the cell, and since all cells in our body may carry this kind of memory, it becomes a constant physical reminder of past events. 
our own and those of our parents, grandparents, and beyond. In other words, the body keeps the score. The gene expression of parents and grandparents who experience severe traumatic events, such as the Rwandan genocide or the Jewish Holocaust, may actually shape the biological expression of their genes in their children and grandchildren. This is a much more probable explanation for why parents who experience trauma are more likely to have children with PTSD, even though there's no apparent cause for the child's experience of trauma. And a mother's prenatal experiences of trauma can impact her unborn baby in life-changing ways. For example, one study found that pregnant mothers who lived near the World Trade Centers in September of 2001 gave birth to babies who had higher stress hormone levels. And in a systematic review of intergenerational trauma in refugee families like Mary's, researchers found eight studies demonstrating that children of refugees, like children of Holocaust survivors, were more likely to suffer from mental health conditions. How to identify transgenerational trauma. The signs of transgenerational trauma can be difficult to see, but three things can help you identify if your child may need help. Uh, one, a knowledge of vulnerable populations. Two, an understanding of common PTSD symptoms in children. And three, a willingness to create a safe space for your child. In addition to the descendants of Holocaust survivors, populations that are vulnerable to transgenerational trauma include refugees, Native Americans, and indigenous people, and descendants of African slaves. Symptoms of PTSD include many of the signs I saw in Mary, including flashbacks, bad dreams, frightening thoughts, avoiding certain settings or things that may trigger responses, being easily startled, feeling tense, sleep problems, angry outbursts, negative thoughts about oneself or the world, distorted feelings, loss of interest in enjoyable activities, bedwetting in young children, or clinginess to caregivers. Encourage a line of open communication with your child. With this knowledge, how can you create a safe space for your child? It starts with how you model your own behavior, from inclusive language to inclusive behavior. According to The Legacy of Trauma by Tori DeAngelis, addressing present-day traumas like racism that relate to the original trauma is key to helping new generations heal and move on. Obviously, the context for this type of discussion is age-dependent. Talking with a high school student will look very different from discussing with a third grader. But all children can and should learn to develop pride in themselves and their cultures. Encourage open discussion with your child about transgenerational trauma, including cultural differences, racism, historical atrocities, etc. Helping your child put transgenerational trauma in context can actually help them overcome many of the challenges they face. If you feel additional help is necessary, consider taking your child to speak with a mental health professional. After Mary shared her experiences with me, I connected her with our on-campus mental health services. I encouraged her to continue writing about her experiences. Now, two years later, she is graduating with an associate's degree in business and transferring to a four-year university this fall where she plans to study social work. Our genes do not determine our destiny. Knowing about the causes and effects of transgenerational trauma can help you help your child develop resilience.
Liza Long is a writer, educator, mental health advocate, and mother of her four children, one of whom has bipolar disorder. She's the author of the essay, I'm Adam Lanza's Mother, and her book, The Price of Silence, A Mom's Perspective on Mental Illness, which won the 2015 Books for a Better Life Award. Liza advocates for mental health care on a national level and regularly contributes to the Huffington Post and Psychology Today. How Teachers Can Talk to Parents Who Don't Believe Mental Illness is Real by Liza Long. We called him Hurricane Eric. This tiny five-year-old with white blonde hair and big blue eyes could go from calm and placid to category five in the space of a few seconds, putting both himself and his classmates at risk. I'll never forget the first time his principal called and scheduled a meeting. Fortunately, Eric's kindergarten teacher was his second biggest fan, after his mother, and the principal had years of experience working with neurodiverse kids. And fortunately, though we felt overwhelmed and afraid at first, Eric's father and I were willing to accept that our son needed help. And we were able to trust the experts the school and our family doctor recommended. Though it took years to find the correct diagnosis and therapies that helped him, we felt like Eric's teachers were our partners in helping him learn and grow in the best way he could. It doesn't always work out like that. While parents would never take it personally if the nurse called and asked them to pick up a child with a stomach ache, there's something different about behavioral symptoms of brain differences. This shorthand word, stigma, that is so common in mental health advocacy contains the idea that mental illness is treated as something to be ashamed of. Dr. Patrick Corian, a national expert on stigma and mental illness, notes, Many people who would have benefited from mental health services opt not to pursue them or fail to fully participate once they've begun. One of the reasons for this disconnect is stigma, namely to avoid the label of mental illness and the harm it brings, people decide not to seek or fully participate in care. The same is true of parents whose children may need mental health care. The fact is, People often blame parents and their children for behaviors caused by mental health conditions. When you tell a mom that something is wrong with her child or you try to apply a stigmatizing label, it's pretty common to see defensive behaviors. For many parents, this natural position of defensiveness can be compounded by other factors. Understand where the parent is coming from. Before you talk to a parent about their child's possible mental health conditions or the need for testing and accommodations, it can be helpful to understand where the parent is coming from. Asking a few questions can help you orient yourself to the parent's current attitudes and beliefs about mental illness. These beliefs can be shaped by the following. Personal experience, whether the parent knows or has interacted with someone who has a mental illness, cultural beliefs or stereotypes about mental illness, media portrayals of mental illness, for example, in television or movies, past experiences, positive or negative, with healthcare institution, and barriers such as insurance restrictions or costs. Avoid the blame game. No one likes having to have hard conversations, and most parents whose children have mental health conditions have had experiences similar to mine. The first time they're forced to confront their child's illness head-on is in elementary school. These conversations are difficult under the best circumstances 
Because of the stigma of mental illness, parents may feel like you are attacking them or their parenting. This initial hostile reaction is often based in fear of the unknown. A friend of mine explained why so many parents who need resources have no idea how to ask for help. We want parents who would otherwise resist a diagnosis or label for their child to be able to access good information without being turned off by a label, she told me. Ideally, we can help them steer themselves into the medical help that they need. This is the same concept embraced as self-determination for older children and adults living with mental illness. Parents want to feel like they have options. Framing the conversation in terms of help and hope, not labels, is critical to establishing trust. Most of the time, whether they admit it or not, parents of children with difficult behaviors already worry that they're failing their children in some way. A 2016 study of how parents of children with mental health conditions view themselves demonstrated that parents whose children exhibit signs of mental illness often self-stigmatize, meaning that they already see themselves as parenting failures. Reinforcing that the parent is a good parent and that the resources and help are available is important to helping parents, especially mothers, develop and maintain positive self-esteem. It is also worth noting that mental illness is known to have a strong genetic component. For this reason, sometimes teachers who are seeking parental cooperation and planning for what's best for the child may find that the whole family needs additional resources. Be prepared for this conversation. Your school's counselor can be a resource for you and help you to provide information about appropriate programs that may help. Understand cultural beliefs about mental illness. A final barrier to parental acceptance can be cultural. A 2016 meta-analysis of how cultural perceptions and practices impacted people's views of mental illness found that the different cultures have vastly different beliefs about the causes of and treatments for mental illness. For example, Pacific Islanders believe that the source of mental illness is family conflict, while the Chinese and Nigerians see mental illness as an imbalance of cosmic forces that should be corrected through diet, exercise, and a focus on positive thinking. Some people even believe that demons or evil spirits cause mental illness. One of my Hispanic friends was advised by her very traditional mother to crack an egg on her son's head to make the evil spirits leave. Many African Americans are suspicious of mental health care providers and prefer more informal or faith-based interventions, which is also common in Americans of all races who profess strong Christian beliefs. Seeking out culturally appropriate guidance and resources can help you to be sensitive to the parents' needs. The National Education Association provides a general diversity and cultural competency toolkit that can be a good place to start. The principles of cultural competency, while not specifically focused on mental health conditions, are helpful when dealing with a parent who may come from a different culture or belief system than yours. Focus on the goal, helping the child. No parent ever wants to have a hard conversation about their child's behaviors and possible mental illness, but diagnosis, therapy, and classroom accommodations can help most children succeed. Partnering with the parents in their child's success can be the best solution for everyone. By understanding the parents' attitudes and beliefs, 
avoiding blame, and understanding cultural differences, teachers can build trust with even the most reluctant parents. It's not about the labels, it's about the services, our son's kindergarten teacher told us on that fateful day of our first elementary school meeting. Those services made all the difference for Eric, and they will help your students too. Liza Long is a writer, educator, mental health advocate, and mother of four children, one of whom has bipolar disorder. She is the author of the essay, I Am Adam Lanza's Mother, and her book, The Price of Silence, A Mom's Perspective on Mental Illness, won the 2015 Books for a Better Life Award. Liza advocates for mental health care on a national level and regularly contributes to the Huffington Post and Psychology Today.